We're wrapping up the Apostles' Creed series that we've been doing on Sunday mornings. Uh, just moved this last one over here to Wednesday night because we're moving into Christmas mode on Sundays. And uh, tonight is a little more of a teaching Bible study. Uh, the Sunday mornings, we've really been leaning in on the idea of living the Apostles' Creed, so how, how we can make discipleship application. And certainly, we'll be able to do that here tonight. But uh, we're going to be talking about some of the exciting things to come in the future. And, you know, my heart was really, really encouraged. Uh, we, we talk uh, with regularity about the challenging times that we've been in in these last couple of years. Uh, we talk about the squeeze and the press that we're experiencing, uh, economy, you know, uh, division in our nation, all these different things. And, you, you know, if we, if we stare at that stuff for, for too long, we can lose sight of the big picture. And the big picture is that Jesus reigns, you know, and that even in the face of the persecution and, and the tough stuff that's going on, again, God's agenda for us in the tough stuff is that we bloom in him and that we flourish and that uh, the, the tough times and difficulties become testimony and an opportunity to praise him for, for what he's done, you know, and, uh, you know, there's an eternal picture that we're looking at as well. You know, as we look at this creed, and we're going to read through it from the beginning in, in just a minute here, but, you, you know, thinking back, the, the ancient confession of the church was Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. Amen. And that, that, that's woven, that's, that's key, that's central to what we're going to look at here tonight. So, uh, so why don't we take a look, uh, or, or take a listen, I should say, right? Unless you, unless you brought your book with you. Uh, I'm going to be reading the Apostles' Creed uh, all the way through, and this time we go truly to the end of it, because that's what we'll be covering here tonight. So we begin with, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and now tonight, the resurrection of bod the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. All right, so yeah, specifically here, you, you know, uh, we're going to be looking at the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Just one more thought here as we look at this being a conclusion of the Apostles' Creed. You know, one of the things that, as a matter of fact, I remember Pastor James opened us up and he, and he talked about, you know, why, why a creed and, and uh, the significance behind these statements being laid out for us. And early on in the series, we were really driving home how important it is for us to know what we believe to know our doctrine, right? And doctrine is just a, a word for our beliefs, what we hold to. And certainly in a, in a time in history where God's people, rather than being grounded and founded on the Word of God, God's people have wandered all over the map. 
you know, as far as belief goes. So what, what a healthy, appropriate time, or I should say what a healthy exercise in an appropriate time for us to go back and examine what do we believe and why do we believe it. And so we turn that now toward our, our look here at the resurrection of the body uh, and, the, and life everlasting. What I'm going to run through here tonight, I want to hit the tops of the waves on uh, some of the, some, these following topics. In order to understand the resurrection of the body, we want to talk a little bit about physical death. Then we want to talk about uh, what we'll call the intermediate state. That is the state of uh, folks that have passed on, that have died before the second coming of Christ. Then we'll talk about the second coming of Christ, the resurrection of the body. I'm just going to make a mention of the last judgment because Pastor Ralph spoke about the judgments. Uh, I spoke about heaven and hell a few times before that in the series. So I'll just make mention. And then we'll talk about the final state, what the Word of God says uh, for, you know, uh, after, after Jesus returns, what do things look like. And again, this is probably a hundred sermons, maybe a thousand sermons, you know, so that's why I said we're just going to, uh, what, what our goal is, our objective tonight is to have those pieces in place, you know, and, you, you know, the Word of God, it tells us uh, always be ready to give a reason or to give a defense for the hope that we have. You know, we have the hope of eternal life in Christ Jesus, and as the world falls apart all around us, we need not be shaken by what's going on, you know, because we have this incredible hope that through all of this, uh, the Lord's got us in his hands. So, so let's talk about it a little bit. Let's talk about physical death first and foremost, if we're going to talk about resurrection. So physical death uh, is, is represented in various ways in scripture. It's spoken of as the death of the body as distinguished from the soul. Right? When we look at physical death, it's, you know, the body going in the grave, but we know Scripture teaches us there's, there's an eternal um, uh, aspect to who we really are as human beings. Who we really are isn't the physical body that goes in the grave. There's a, there's a soul, there's an eternal soul that lives inside. So uh, Matthew 10, 28, the first part of that verse says, don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's a nice cheery verse, Amen. Death is also spoken of as a separation of body and soul. Ecclesiastes 12.7, 12, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Uh, one definition of physical death I read, I didn't think it really captures what the Bible teaches, a termination of physical life by the separation of body and soul. So it just really lays it out there uh, in what Scripture teaches. So it says uh, in the Word of God, we know going all the way back to the book of Genesis, that death is the result of sin. Uh, it's in fact a punishment of sin. We see God talking to Adam back in Genesis chapter 2 and explaining that. And then we see in the fall in the garden, you know, that, that uh, spiritual death comes upon them. And then the, they, they began to die physically uh, you know, after the fall happened. Romans 5.12, then I'll go over to verse 17, says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, 
and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. So that sets this picture up for us that death is a result of sin, result of the fall. Verse 17, for if by the trespass of the one man death reigned throughout that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? That's the good news for us, you know, that, that death is a, is a bleak thing to talk about unless we know that because we belong to Jesus, we have been delivered from death. Not only that, but a whole, whole separate message it says we're going to reign in life. That, that, that not only will we escape death, but that we will reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So uh, death is not something that's natural to us, uh, but it's an expression of judgment, uh, uh, you know, of God's conviction uh, to, uh, of judgment toward us. And it's a curse. It's a part of the curse. Uh, when we read it laid out in Deuteronomy, uh, the, the curse of the law, uh, you know, it, death, separation from God, poverty, sickness and disease, these things are all lumped in as part of the curse. But again, we're told in Galatians that we have been redeemed from that curse of the law because uh, Jesus, you know, uh, died on the cross for us, that it says in the word, cursed is everyone uh, hung on a tree, right? So it lays out this picture of Jesus uh, taking that for us, taking it away for us. So, so that's an understanding of death. It's separation from, you know, of, of the soul of a person from their body. Now, I, I know like technically the word of God tells us we are a spirit, we have a soul, we live in a body, but, you know, depending on where we're looking in scripture, sometimes it, it shows us the those three components. Sometimes it just talks about it in relationship of body and soul. So in soul, we're lumping all that together. The, the eternal us is what I'm referring to there. So, all right, so let's look at now what we'll call, uh, you know, as we study end times things, uh, the, this, this period that we're in now, the intermediate state. So the question is then, what happens to a person after they die? Um, the bodies of all people, both believers, unbelievers alike, are subject to decay after death. We all know that. They're buried uh, in some, some cases, you know, buried in the ground, some cases cremated. Uh, and their bodies await resurrection, which will take place sometime in the future. So our concern for us here and now, our concern is with the souls of people. Come on, can you say amen? The souls of believers, the souls of unbelievers. That's where our concern is for the here and now. Um, the soul of believers immediately enters the glories of heaven when they die. Isn't that so encouraging to know? Isn't that such a great comfort? Jesus said to the thief on the cross, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. Uh, Philippians 1, 21 to 23, Paul said, for, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ which is far better. And we're told that right in Scripture to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, the souls of unbelievers, on the other hand, uh, is immediate entrance into hell when they die. Uh, we see that in a picture uh, when we look at the rich young ruler uh, and Lazarus, that whole story that Jesus tells. And again, we won't go a ton into that today because we did talk about uh, the doctrine of hell um, a few weeks back. But just the whole idea is that to be absent from the body is either going to be present with 
with the Lord in heaven or it's going to be in hell. And uh, that is certainly not politically correct these days. That is certainly not uh, what folks need to hear. But, you know, we, we should look at it on the flip side of that of if somebody's inside a burning building, we don't want to uh, be afraid to acknowledge the building's on fire. Right? We want to let him know here, you know, here, here's the truth of what, what God says. And uh, the, the word does say that, you know, that condition is fixed forever. So that's something that, you know, can be a very sobering effect when we talk about living the Apostles' Creed. A very sobering effect for us to love people around us, serve people around us, and make sure that those that we have influence with, as we're led of the Spirit, you know, that we can be salt and light in their lives and make sure they have opportunity to hear the good news. Um, So uh, the bottom line, though, all souls ultimately await resurrection. That's going to happen. Um, so Jesus, uh, Pastor Walt gets into it in the book. I'm kind of hitting some things that we don't necessarily deep dive in the book because again, I know folks are reading it on their own and we're, we're doing it in growth groups. But he talks about Jesus being the first fruits. And we know we read that, you know, Jesus uh, dying on the cross. We, we read in the gospels, right? The graves break open. Many saints who were dead came to life. You know, all these really, uh, these beginning things of resurrection happen. Uh, But as far as the time that we're in, uh, that we are in now, we're looking for the second coming of Christ, right? And this was the thing that was a mystery for those who saw all of the prophecy uh, in the Old Testament about God's Messiah as he would come. There There were things about him reigning and ruling, and there were things about him being a suffering servant. And what was mystery for that, for all the generation there, up until Christ came, uh, the, the mystery was that there was going to be two appearances. The first one as the lamb, and then the second one as the lion. You know, so uh, all of this time in between, uh, the Word of God tells us we're living in the age of grace. You know, that, that uh, salvation is available to everyone. That's why it should be of highest importance for us to, uh, to be a part of God's word, the, the good news, the gospel going forth, because there will be an age that comes that's not an age of grace. Some of these things that we're looking at and that we'll get into here tonight. So we have all of this going on. And in, in this age of grace, we're told that in these end times, things will get more pressure filled. We're, we're told that things will get uh, a lot more difficult, right? Uh, I, I think of where it says in these last days, perilous times will come. And again, the translation there, it's times that are hard to deal with and hard to bear. You know, uh, in the natural, you know, if we don't realize there's a bigger picture and a victory in Christ, uh, the, the times can be most oppressive for folks. But the bottom line is Jesus is coming again. So when we look at the second coming of Christ, let's talk about this for a few minutes. The New Testament teaches us uh, uh, several things. Let, let's take a look at Matthew 24, verses 30 and 31. Uh, then, will, uh, then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Then all the people of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they, were, they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. So, uh, you, you know, we, we call this the rapture. You know, the, the, um, it's called the blessed hope uh, in Scripture. That word rapture isn't actually used in Scripture, but what this talks about it's a word that, that 
is meant to represent this gathering of God's people uh, from, from the four winds. In other words, from all, from all around the world, uh, from one end of the heavens to the other. So what an exciting time that's going to be, huh? Something that we've never experienced on grand scale. You know, we, we know Elijah had that go up to heaven thing. Before that, we know Enoch had that just go, go on up to heaven thing. Uh, of course, we saw Jesus ascend after he was, we didn't see it, we read about it. I'm saying we see as we read, amen? <laughs> uh, but, but this is going to be the, the mass gathering of all of God's people uh, when the Lord returns. Uh, so according to scripture, there's some important events that must precede the return turn of Christ. First, we're told that the gospel must be preached to all nations. Uh, Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. This means that every people group on earth will have the gospel proclaimed to them before Jesus comes back. And isn't it exciting, you know, when we think of we as a church, we've been a part of ministries that are going to unreached peoples to see that they get to hear the Word of God. I mean, literally fulfilling, helping, you know, have our part to fulfilling uh, what's spoken about here in these end times in Matthew 24. Uh, Also, another thing that's mentioned, a large number of Israelites must be converted. Uh, We read about that uh, in Revelation, but we see here in Romans 11, 25 and 26. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. So uh, that, that's, again, a part of, uh, you, you know, a value here uh, at Grace and Peace is we, we know that, that God's people, we as God's people, we're called to love Israel. We're, we're called to love the Jews. Uh, and there's, there's promises that did not end. Again, a mystery that was hidden, uh, you know, before Jesus rose from the dead was this picture of the one new man in Christ. That there would be Jewish, you know, uh, and, and again, whole sermons on that, right? But Jewish believers that would say yes to Jesus as Lord and Savior, but the, the Gentile world would be saved too. And that they wouldn't um, become Jewish uh, in that process, but that they would be grafted in. That was this mystery that, that was unfolded. And, and, and again, we see that in the book of Acts as, as God is revealing and showing the church, yep, the Gentiles too are partaking of salvation. Jesus died for the whole world so the whole world could live. Amen. Uh, It it also says before Jesus comes back again, there will be a great apostasy. Uh, And that means, uh, again, that's a fancy Bible word for falling away. There'll be a great falling away uh, and also a great tribulation. Uh, the Bible repeatedly teaches that in the end of times, there, there will be a lot that, um, that love of many will grow cold. Uh, it's, it's really uh, heart-piercing when we read in Scripture where Jesus says, and when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? You know, that, that's kind of a, a haunting question that he asks there, right? Uh, and then also we know that there'll be great tribulation. If we look at verse 4 of Matthew 24, Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. See to it that you're not alarmed. Amen? 
Amen. Uh, Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most ah, will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Amen. Uh, Another thing that Scripture tells us, uh, the Antichrist must come. Now, it's interesting, we read in Scripture uh, places like 1 John, uh, actually a couple of places in 1 John, uh, says that the spirit of Antichrist is already at work in the world. And here it is back then, right, you know, right after the resurrection of Jesus, right? Uh, The spirit of Antichrist is already uh, evidenced in the apostolic age. And many Antichrists or deceivers had already made their appearance. But the Bible also brings an understanding that there will be a particular person, uh, the Antichrist, that will be a part of this end of the age, ages uh, where the great tribulation and this great falling away is going on. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 and 4 says, Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. And we know there's been many, uh, you know, antichrist figures that have risen to power that we've seen in world history, but all of them have really been foreshadowing to this, this ultimate person that's being spoken about here. Also, we look before the return of the Lord, there will be signs and wonders in the heavens. Uh, The Bible says that this will be things marking the beginning of the end. Um, Luke 21, verses 25 to 26, there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken." So all of these things, right, are pointing toward, you know, this, this, this groaning, this, this pointing toward uh, the return of the Lord. Now let's talk about the, the second uh, coming of Christ itself. So after all these signs, the Lord Jesus Christ will return to earth. Uh, and, and a couple of things that Scripture tells us about his actual return. Uh, the time of the, the second coming, no one knows except the Father. Now, how many have paid attention over the years that there's always somebody who tries to explain why that doesn't actually mean what it says in Scripture, right? How many know it's a good idea just to stick with the Word of God, right? Just to go ahead, you, you know, and stick with the Word of God. It, uh, Jesus himself didn't know the time of his return. Matthew 24, 36, about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. So we'll know times, we'll, we'll, we'll know seasons, but we won't know the exact 
time, right? And God is so good to us that he lets us know, like, hey, pay, he's painting all these things that we're seeing. And even some of those things that we look at, like the earthquakes, like we have the technology now and we can look and earthquakes have been tracked for however many years now and they're noticing there's a greater intensifying and frequency of earthquakes that happen around the world. When you, when you look at it at a, at a bigger panoramic type picture, you know, uh, there's been anti-Christ personalities, you know, and, and when we get to the modern era, there, there's been atrocities that, that have been, um, you, you know, that have happened that have been more horrible than, than, I mean, there's been some ugly stuff through history, and yet we see the, this amplifying uh, of things, you know, moving on, this intensifying toward this, these final moments that the Word of God tells us about. 1 Peter 4, 7 says, the end of all things is near, therefore be alert and sober-minded so that you may pray. Now, thinking about the fact that that's, you know, within that first century after Jesus died, that, the, that you know, the call to the body of Christ by Holy Spirit was, be sober, be alert, the time is drawing near, and here we are now, 2,000 plus years later, you know, whatever, you, you know, uh, how much closer are we? Amen? So, uh, okay, the manner of the second coming of Christ, the Lord will, will return bodily in exactly the same way he left this world, right? right? We read about that, that as he ascended, the angels said, uh, you know, why are you standing here staring? You know, you'll see him come back this, this same way. We're told about that. Um, the purpose of his return, uh, he will return at the end of the world for the purpose of introducing the future age, the eternal state of things. So all of this is leaning into, you know, uh, our, our articles here of, you know, there, there's a bodily resurrection that's coming. And there is this uh, everlasting life that, that, that we are going to walk in. And this age that we're living in now, uh, it's all going to pass away, right? I mean, I can remember when I was first saved, I, I didn't know much about the Bible. And I remember just thinking, okay, so, you know, live a life that's meaningful, go to heaven, and then be in heaven forever. And that just this, this kind of earth transaction with heaven of this age of grace, I just kind of had in my head that I guess it just keeps going on like this indefinitely, but that's, that's not what happens. We get, get to see here in the Word of God, no, this age is going to close, and there's going to be, you, you know, other things that, that God has uh, to happen. And uh, if we look at John chapter 5, 25 to 29, very, very, or very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. That's this, this resurrection. Uh, so, it, you know, and again, Pastor Walt broke this down. So when we look at resurrection, it's, it's really resurrections 
over time. There's different, uh, th- different phases of it that are going on. Uh, Acts 17.31, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Romans 2, let's go through. This is a lengthier uh, portion of Scripture, but let, let's dig in on this a little bit. Starting with verse 3. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things that we're passing judgment on, do you think you will escape God's judgment or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourselves for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. On to verse 12. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it's not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. Everybody tracking so far? They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Wow, there's a lot there. You know, and again, we are reminded we are not to take the seed of judge because Jesus is the one, you know, who will be ruling and reigning and coming as judge to, to judge all of humanity. And so the good news is as we live lives of repentance, as we live lives surrendered over to him, uh, you, you know, we're, we're not in that place of inviting his judgment into our life, even as believers, you know. Uh, so we want to we wanna keep the account, we want to keep the forgiveness account empty. We want to uh, keep the judging account empty, you know, and keep our hearts humbled before the Lord. Can you say amen? Second uh, Peter 3, uh, 10 through 13, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. There's that picture of ultimately, you know, I think about that sometimes when I'm looking at things I aspire to have in this life, you know, uh, sometimes I'll get a little, little too wrapped up in that or impatient for, yeah, oh Lord, I really want this, you know, and then, then you have a verse like this that comes by and says like, not only can't I take it with me, but all this here is going to be burned up and made brand new anyway, 
right? How's that for perspective, keeping us in, in a good, healthy perspective? You know, we're, we're to enjoy, we're to live joyfully in this life. God has blessed us. He, he doesn't want us in poverty, you know, but it, it just, just kind of goes back to that picture. Uh, woe unto us when stuff starts having us rather than us having stuff so we can ultimately use it for his glory. Amen? So uh, it says this in verse 11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Man, that's pretty cool, huh? I, I, I don't even think on our best day we could, our imaginations could capture what that's going to be like, that new heaven, that new earth. And of course, we see in Revelation 20, uh, 11 to 15, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Uh, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up their dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Revelation twenty two twelve. Jesus says, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. Whew. Words from the boss, huh? <laughs> Saying, yep, I'm coming back. So these, then, these are the events surrounding the second coming of Christ and after his second coming. But uh, we have to answer now the question of what happens to our bodies at the return of Christ. So the resurrection of the body, let, let's look at that now. Scripture teaches us that uh, at the return of Christ, the dead will be raised. Again, let's look at Thessalonians. Uh, th that's, Thessalonians tells us a bunch of neat things about these last days. Uh, 4 and verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep or passed away, right, uh, in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. So a little more uh, filling in on that verse there. Uh, those who have passed on, and again, we, we see in Scripture that they are a part of that great cloud of witnesses. I'm not sure what that's like, right? We don't exactly understand whether, you know, there's a balcony that they can peer over, you know, as far as literally with physics, how that works in the spirit realm and all of that. But we do know that when he comes back, 
all that, that, that host of heaven uh, will be coming with him. And then we will meet the Lord in the air that are left behind. So one way or the other, for us as believers, it's either good news or good news, right? Either way, we wind up being with the Lord. Um, so, uh, y- you know, in the last judgment there, we've, I've, I've walked you through, uh, I've, I'm kind of piecemealing around this topic, you know, of the, the bodily resurrection and about some of the sequence of these things that happen. Before we wrap up here tonight, I want to just walk through a sequence that most, uh, most that take the Bible at its word, a sequence of events that most believe it's going to, you know, unfold this way. If we're, if we're understanding prophecy and, you know, relating it all together uh, correctly. Um, but before we do, there's just one thing. I didn't include this in my notes, but, you know, I, I realized that as I prepared this evening, um, I really didn't get a whole lot into this picture of the bodily resurrection of the dead. You know, and that is, that is Article 11, the resurrection of the body. So here's the cool thing, that, y- y- you know, those who have died up to this point have gone to heaven and are with the Lord. They don't have their new glorified body yet, Right? You know, as a matter of fact, we read about that in Revelation. It talks about those, those uh, th- that, that are interceding, crying out before God, you know, that, 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 are, that are up there in heaven, that, 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 are, that are, you know, just uh, those that had been, had their heads cut off, those who had been persecuted, those that, that had gone on before us. Uh, but Scripture clearly teaches us that when we are born again, leave this body and go to heaven, there is a new body that we're going to be getting. Now, now when I say physical body, uh, you, you know, well, well, I, I tell you what, let's just take a look at it. Um, and, and again, I'm sorry, I didn't give this over to the booth because this was just like an afterthought. Um, and I thought, we should, this would be so good for us to look at this. So this is uh, 1 Corinthians 15 at verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, right? We don't, we don't put a, a whole corn stalk in the ground. We put a seed in the ground, right? And out of that seed, you know, uh, comes the, the corn plant, uh, perhaps of wheat or of something else, but God gives it a body as he is determined, and to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and the stars differ from stars in splendor. So, will it be with the resurrection of the dead? The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. 
You know, and I was even doing a little, I was just enjoying some extra study and, and looking at some of the different, um, you know, as people have tried to wrestle, you know, with what we understand about physics now. And, you know, they say that like matter is never ultimately destroyed, right? It just changes state, you know? So what does that mean for resurrection? You know, is it that the body coming back new and improved? Uh, but yet what we're told here in scripture you know, is that it's wrong thinking to try to put the pieces together on how God's going to do it with the body that was put in the ground, you know? I think like when we think of a caterpillar goes into a, a, a cocoon and it comes out a butterfly, you know, something all together, you, you, you know? Bottom line here, what, what Paul is saying is, you know, what was sown, weak, decaying, dying in the natural in the resurrection will be something that is spiritual. You know, and I thought, you know what? I don't think we should mess with it a whole lot more than that. I mean, it might be fun to talk about, might be fun to have some conjecture, but that's the one thing that we do know, you know, that this new glorified body. You know, I've wondered on what will our appearance be like? Will, will it be similar just in, you know, and I think that might be an area of Man, we don't have a clue what things are going to be like as we, we get to living in, in the heavenly realm. It is interesting that the disciples, some of the disciples on the road to Emmaus didn't realize it was Jesus at, until they were hanging out with him for a while. And finally, they're like, oh, our hearts were burning within us. This was Jesus. You know, so uh, it's curious on how that, you know, the whole glorified resurrected body thing looks. But here's the bottom line. You know, we don't die and then live as a spirit in heaven. There is a body that is coming. Amen? So there is a, a resurrection of the body that's made very, very clear uh, for us. There's these different resurrections that happen. I want to wrap up and, and just sort of tie this all in together. And, and again, I pray that as we, as we think on these things, you know, as we go away from service tonight and, you know, we're, we're chewing on this a little bit, that, that our hearts would just be excited. You know, our Christianity is supposed to be an adventure, you know, we're exploring and we're discovering and we're growing and we're learning and, and we're watching God do things through us as human beings that we could never do ourselves. But because he wants his kingdom advanced and because he lives in us, you know, we're able to walk out and do these things if we will dare to believe him and dare to take him at his word. And so, so it becomes this thing uh, when, when it's become stale, we've let it become something that altogether different than what God wants a walk with him to be. Amen? So, uh, and, and as we look at the times we're in, again, I, I, I tell you what, aren't we so blessed in our Western culture with all of the comforts and the gadgets and the things that we have that, that make life so much easier? I mean, my goodness, my, our, our kitchen sink, you, you know, just for use over time, the sink clogged like a week ago. And I couldn't believe what, a, what an annoying inconvenience that was, you know? And, and then, you know, tracking down, you know, we tried all the steps and it was, it was needing, uh, you, you know, a plumbing touch kind of a thing, you know? Uh, and on the other side of that, I thought, wow, do I take for granted my sink, you know? Just something, you know, uh, indoor plumbing, right? Like, wow, like we, we don't know what life was like before people had indoor plumbing, you know, clean drinking water, all these things, you know? So, so there's, there's so many blessings, you know, but on the other side of that, especially in our, 
like right up to date modern culture, there is so much materialism to capture our attention and to capture our focus in our hearts. You know, that if we're not careful, we'll get our eyes off of, Lord, the days that we're living in. You know, and the problem is when, when we experience all these blessings, well, well, the Word of God warns us. His warning to God's people in Scripture is when you experience the blessing and you experience the victory, don't get comfortable. Because before we know it, we'll start trusting in the comfort, we'll start aching for it, and then when it's gone, collapse, you, you know, our, our world implodes, you know. So, church, we get to live in these days that we live in. How dangerous to the enemy do God's people become when we embrace that as a mindset? We get to be alive during this time. You know, we look at it, you, you know, in, in the natural, there's, uh, I mean, the shakings, they just continue to happen and, and uh, they will just continue to happen and the intensifying and all of that stuff, you know. Uh, but if we can remember, Lord, I know we, we've, we've said it over the years so often, but truly, we're here for such a time as this. That means that God's Spirit in us will rise to meet whatever comes down the road while we're here on this earth, right? If we just dare to say, Lord, I'm going to believe you and I'm going with you, right? Uh, so so let, let's, let's connect these dots here as we look at this in light of the, you know, the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. So, so we now are in the age of grace, right? Or the church age. I already spoke about that. I got some things that... Uh, Ah, there, I can read it now. Jesus told Peter that he would build his church, calling out for himself a people and a bride. Uh, th this is the picture of the church age. The, the church is to prevail and to attack the gates. We are to be on the offensive against the enemy's kingdom. We know somewhere toward the end of this church age, there is going to be a rapture of the church. The time where Jesus comes for his saints, for all believers will be caught up together in the clouds with Jesus. Uh, at this point, uh, Pastor Ralph spoke about the, the Bema seat, the judgment of believers, where we'll, we'll be judged on our works. We're going to heaven. We're heaven bound. That is secure, but our works are what are going to be judged. And then from there, we didn't get it, into this up to this point, but then the Word of God talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. So on the other side of that judgment seat, will we, as the purified bride of Christ, will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Man, what is that going to be like? Now, we know there's a great tribulation period that comes along here. And again, depending on, uh, you know, uh, somebody's connecting of the dots of what Scripture says, um, in this tribulation, either the rapture happens before the tribulation, uh, during, in, in, you know, the middle of the tribulation, or after the tribulation. You know, and I heard a pastor say one time, uh, trying to think how he said it, you know, you know, I was talking to a fellow pastor who didn't believe it was until after the, the tribulation, and he said, so when we get to heaven, you know, we'll find out that I was right, is, is basically what the pastor said, you know. So people are pretty passionate about, about their perspective on that, you know. Um, but the bottom line is, you, you know, and, and there's a really good case scripturally, you know, that you could look uh, on each part there, but the bottom line here, this great tribulation period, it's judgment on the world. 
You know, it's not judgment on the body of Christ, but there is this great tribulation that uh, culminates in the battle of Armageddon. And here is where, when we talked about the second coming of Christ, where Jesus comes back uh, with his saints. Um, we read in Matthew about a sheep goat judgment of the nations. There's a judgment of the nations that goes on because now at this point, Jesus Christ himself bodily, who had the first bodily resurrection from the dead, comes and from Jerusalem reigns on the earth for a thousand years. Isn't that so cool? I remember the first time I read that, I'm like, oh, all this stuff is going to happen. It's not just go to heaven and close the book. That's it. That's the end of the story. Jesus is going to be back. He's going to, uh, this is the millennial reign of Christ. Satan is literally locked up during this thousand years. And we read in Isaiah uh, about, you, you know, um, things that, that are going to be so different during this time. The curse will be removed. Deserts will bloom. Um, our kids, uh, you know, will be able to play. You know, it talks about, you know, taking up a serpent without it biting them and the lion laying down with the lamb. And, you know, it's kind of cute. I've seen some of these videos videos like on YouTube and stuff like that, that I think are glimpses of what this is going to look like. I remember telling my, my wife this one time, there's a guy who, I guess he raised this lion, a male lion. How many beside me, you look at a male lion and there's just respect, right? When you see that thing, you know, and this guy, I guess, raised this up since it was a, you know, a cub. And so he's in there, he's hanging out with this lion. I mean, and it's not a, a big kitten, but it's acting like it. But then the thing that blew my mind even more is the dosh hound, the little hot dog dog comes running over and is hanging out with the lion and the lion kind of gives a look down and gives him a little nudge and, and like the dog's his little buddy, you know? And I'm like, that's very different than what I saw on National Geographic, you know? That was scary stuff I saw there and look how sweet this is, you know? But I, I almost think those are little glimpses of what we're going to see when, when the curse is removed. You know, Jesus has come back and he reigns on the earth and there's going to be justice. Uh, but then scripture does tell us that after a thousand years, it's curious, it doesn't get in, into this at all, but as it, it does tell us after this thousand years, it says for a short season, Satan is going to be released and, and people will be deceived. And there will be a gathering against the Lord. Uh, it's going to be a pretty rapid putting them down. And then at that point here, we have the great white throne judgment that we read about. So all the dead, you know, everybody from the ages brought before him. And everybody whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. Now it's not just the hell of hell. But now it's the second death, the lake of fire. Um, and, you know, one thing to mention, uh, as we go through up to this point, the only enemy of Christ that hasn't been put down or defeated is, I shouldn't say defeated, I mean, he's conquered it, but put down, you know, eradicated is death. And it's not until, and I remember just a little while ago, we just read that, right? Where it says, death and Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire. You know, so here is where we see the, the ultimate from where we started in the beginning, in the garden, death entering humanity. Now it's come full circle. Death is thrown into the lake of fire. And then, then we have the eternal state, eternity, a new heaven and a new earth. And the saints of God uh, just interacting with God and loving God and being with God. And how many know there's going to be more story to tell at that point, right? 
I mean, who knows what that's going to be like, mind-blowing for us to consider and think about. But man, I just pray that our hearts would be encouraged as we look at these things, you know, because the Word of God tells us about the, the difficulty and the storminess and the tribulation so that we won't lose heart, so that we'll keep our eyes on Him, and so that, that we'll just keep walking it out with Him. Because in the natural, you know, when pressure, well, you know, when the pressure comes on, it, 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 it's, it's a great revealer on what's going on. You know, so he wants us to, that's why we read about training ourselves for godliness, right? So that when we're in the pressure cooker, uh, it's, it's, we're driven more into him. So, amen. The Apostles' Creed, huh? God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. That <laughs> we've moved all the way on through, looking at his great plan of salvation. Jesus Christ enthroned, King of kings and Lord of lords. And we'll ultimately get to the point where every enemy of God is, is put asunder, destroyed, gone. And now we truly have the new heavens and the new earth. What, what a tragedy for those who are looking for a utopia in the here and now. We won't find it any place but in Jesus, Right? So we gotta, we gotta pray, we gotta stand in the gap, we gotta intercede, we gotta love. We have to be a part of seeing that the, that the whole world would know because he's not willing that one would perish. So amen. May we be encouraged when the times get dark, when the times get tough. Uh, may we be those that uh, press more into the Lord when, when, you know, he shakes all that can be shaken, that everything would just get shaken off of our lives that doesn't matter, <laughs> and that we would hold on with both hands to the things that really matter. Amen? Amen? Praise God. All right. I think we're done. We're in for a landing. So, Father, we just praise you here tonight. We love you. And, Lord, I, 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 know, <laughs> I know one thing is for sure. Anybody in Scripture history that tried to connect all the dots didn't quite do it perfectly. <laughs> so, Lord, as we throughout these ages have tried to best grasp and understand the picture, Lord, we thank you. The things that you have made clear to us are the important things. There is hope. We have eternal life in you. Our world is fallen and broken and dark, and it's going to get darker but you've placed your light inside us so that we can make sure the world gets to see you. Because each one, each one, we will stand before you. Lord, I pray for us as believers that that would spur us on to love and good works. And Lord, for those who don't know you, Lord, that that would pierce and melt hearts and turn hearts to say yes to salvation. So God, as we've walked through this series here now, these last 10, 11 weeks, what it's been, 12 weeks, Lord, in a world where the body of Christ is in a mess and where we've messed up our doctrine so much, Lord, let us be a people that hold to sound doctrine. Lord, let us be those that are not moved by the things going on in our, our world around us. Lord, I pray for our church family, the entire church family, Lord, that we would not give in to the spirit of this age. 
Lord, that we would not give in to vain imaginations or, or philosophies that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God, but may we be a people that are rooted and grounded in Christ, and that we would be a people, Lord, that are rooted in sound doctrine by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we commit ourselves into your hands. We thank you for it. All of this we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.